you're listening to Reigning Revolution, Jedi in the Arts. That's justice, equity, diversity, and innovation in the arts. Tune in to hear conversations with various artists about these themes. Brought to you from CFUV 101.9 FM, and I'm your host, Meharuna Gani. Reigning Revolution is coming to you from the traditional territories of the Sanhis, Esquimalt, and Wasanich peoples, whose historical relationships continue to this day. Tracy Skews is an established writer and author of the short story collection, Hunger Moon. She's also a story midwife, helping writers birth their stories so they can get them out into the world. Welcome, Tracy. It's such a wonderful treat to have you join me today. I'd like to begin by asking you to please introduce yourself if you wanna add more to what I just said. Um, and also just to identify the Indigenous territory you're joining me from. Sure. I'm up here um, on the unceded territories of the Comox First Nations, um, colonially known as the Comox Valley. I've lived here for about 23 years, 22 of those or 21 of those in Cumberland, which is just a little bit inland and now I live in in Courtney so I'm so I'm on a different water in a the same watershed I'm really thinking about water these days because um noticing the levels of the lake that you know is the reservoir going down I live near Creek a salmon bearing creek that feeds into the Puntledge River and you know just really attending to these bodies of water in my daily awareness, I guess. Yeah. We're all in this space of daily awareness, I think, today, uh, thinking about what does this mean in terms of the change in climate, the change in weather, the change in, an, in our environment, in our structures, where is this heading? Hopefully there's be some positive outcome where people are more mm -hmm. aware and making some kind of impact. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm for, I feel really fortunate here that there are people, people gathering in, in community action to, to kind of care for, be caretakers of the watershed, because it's been, it's, you know, strange on Vancouver Island, because a lot of, in all of the, you know, apprehension of lands, from the the indigenous peoples it went into private holding yeah. so unlike even on the mainland where there's crown land there's like our water is in private lands it's really really crazy the idea of extraction i've been really thinking about extraction and you know colonial capitalist patriarchy it's like all based on extraction and so can we dream up or, you know, return to systems that are not extractive, you know? Yeah, I think, and I think we can, if, mm -hmm. um, if we really look closely at what does 
power and money mean to each of us? And how do we let go of that? And I think this kind of goes into our conversation today in some way, perhaps. Um, So I'd love to hear, what do you think Jedi in the arts means to you? Yeah, I've been really thinking about that. I think the individual words um, as as we've been talking about this conversation and you know, I'm a writer, so um, that's my that's my art medium. Even though I dabble in in others, in the writing, in terms of justice, really, the responsibility to look at the systems we're in and challenge and disrupt them in small and big ways. So, an example would be you know, in terms of justice, looking at where, for me, you know, in my, in my life, in my situation, what I have, yeah, I'm a woman who was married for 20 years and recently separated. And so what has become really palpable and in my body is this like awareness that the brilliance of these systems is that they get in our bodies and we just in our conditioning are um, replaying and reinforcing them. And so the work as a writer is to, I think, begin to bring forward these awarenesses and and challenge them, challenge them narratively, because it's the it's actually on the on the level of narrative that we the stories that we tell the stories that we don't tell the stories that um, are reinforced in the culture are the things that perpetuate injustice are the things that perpetuate inequality so as a writer as an artist i think i think that's i mean that's why writers who are exiled or imprisoned because because they are challenging the status quo they are challenging the systems of power and so i think you know as artists that's our that's our duty that's our you know what in whatever way and that may be like articulating feelings and truths that are not welcome in the um in the culture just as simple as that, because that's a disruption, you know, if I articulate the level of my grief um, in a culture that doesn't allow for grief, then that is an act of, I don't want to say disruption. Yeah, I was going to say defiance, but it feels bigger than just, it's not just defiance, but it challenges the, the status quo. Yeah, yeah. I love the word disruption, disruption quite a bit. I, and I do see that uh, in terms of in, in an art form, such as writing, it is choosing to disrupt the, the various systems and thoughts and ideas that some people may have or may not have, or haven't realized some of those thoughts. Yeah. Um, and you also talked about the systems go into our body. So there's two two sort of questions I have around this is um, one, 
how does one <laughs> decolonize themselves as a writer and an artist through the craft, realizing that we have these systems in our bodies and in our thought patterns. Um, we've all in some form or another have been colonized, even if it's not directly, but we're carrying those systems in us. And two, the other question is around narrative and um, whose narrative, whose structure of the narrative have we been informed by? Yeah, so the I'll start with the body. One of the places I, I know Meharuna from is actually a long time ago, women's studies program in uh, at UVic yeah. and really cool that we reconnected. And so there, you know, we were we were doing lots of reading about these systems of oppression and so on. And what amazed me was that I ended up in a marriage where we took on very gendered roles because you know because of the children because of uh financial all of the things and and kind of at the end of the marriage realizing oh my god like i had this education <laughs> i'd done all this work and yet still because you know if you um look at family systems and your nervous system you are doesn't matter how much you know intellectually your nervous system has been calibrated to keep you safe and what that often means and what that meant for me is recreating patterns that were in my family of origin that were um patriarchal gendered construct that I just took into my into my own life. And part of the challenge is having a partner too that wasn't fully willing to de, you know, decolonize. So like compromising for safety, compromising for, well, and also just the unconscious, the unconscious mind of that latches on to ideas of what keeps you safe. And so that's really what I mean by being that these that these colonized systems are in our body because they've been passed down generation to generation, and it often is happening pre-verbally. And so the disruption comes when you begin to bring awareness. So even um, and it, I, I think it's not enough. To, to just intellectually speak of these things. It's important, but we need to actually get into our nervous system responses and, and reclaim them essentially. And that's hard when, um, you know, there's, there's perceived threats, there's uh, the systems of power, money, you know, the fear of not having enough, uh, the fear of being left, like these really primal kind of fears that that keep the system going, because, you know, if I fear that I don't have enough money, then I might go to the oil patch and do a stint working for oil and gas so I can, quote unquote, feed my family. And then that just feeds that system, yeah. <laughs> right? 
So does that does that answer that question about the bodily? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it introduces um, many different perspectives and layers that you're carrying. Um, your craft is writing, my craft is writing. How then do we go into that area of the craft to make the disruption, to, to change the narrative? Um, and this leads back again to what you were saying about body and the nervous system and grief. Part of that going into that disruption is then how does one, as, as an artist, how does that person ensure they have created plans for themselves for dealing with the grief, the trauma, the disruptions that they have encountered on a bodily level mm -hmm. and will go through that in terms if they are writing about it yeah you know, so that that grief is going to get triggered so i i often think about okay what are we doing to deal with the grief and self-care so so mm -hmm. that's a question i'd like to ask you too like what if from your experience what have you done to ensure your care and and i've been reading hunger moon your your book hunger moon and there's some really beautiful, the short stories are amazing. And there's some lots of vulnerable stories in there. Yeah. And, and I do wonder you as the writer who wrote those, how did you, how did you deal with your own processes of, of uh, taking care of your body? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. It's one thing that I do with, with, um, the writers I work with, I actually bring in a somatic experiencing counselor to give tools um, to attend to those big feelings that can feel overwhelming. I'm actually just reading Frances Weller's book, um, At the Edge of the Wild Edge of Sorrow. And it's a lot about grief and the grief that we um, experience isn't often held or honored in this in this culture, in the culture of decolonization. And um, so one of the things is really learning how to regulate, to know when you're pushing too far into the grief in terms of writing. So what I mean by that is we can really trigger ourselves back into trauma. And so some tools to, you know, recognize that, oh my gosh, I'm getting in over my head. Like I can't, I can't go there right now. Really a lot of tenderness toward ourselves. And I think sometimes we think we just have to like dive in and poke the wound and uh, rip it apart. And um, I mean, I have a practice of yoga that I've, you know, I've, I've been um, a yoga practitioner for my most of my adult life. And so I do a lot of lying down actually on my back, on my bolster, um, eye pillow over my eyes, hands on my heart, on my belly. Um, some so so that on a very, you know, basic level, connecting with breath, using tools that that bring you into the present. Sometimes just looking around, like if you're if you're writing and you're feeling triggered, you can pause and put your hands on your heart and take a couple of deep 
breaths and when you feel ready to open your eyes and slowly look around the room and notice what you notice, you know, and ask yourself, am I safe? Am I safe? And so those are really, you know, just some basic tools. I also, I also have worked with a therapist and I have very good friends who can hold space for me and hold me in that grief. And so that's been, you know, that's really important. Um, and one of the things Frances Weller talks about is when we can be witnessed in our grief and held in our grief. Um, so, and, and, and if you don't have that, those people in your life, sometimes being in the natural world, you know, like this, beautiful mother that we live on like she can hold it and i have often done that like wept at the base of a tree um, by the side of a river and and just kind of there's there's something in the presence of of the of being in the natural world that is a, a resource and by that i don't mean an extraction <laughs> but a place where we can revitalize, resource ourselves. So those are some things that are ways that we can, we can take care of the body as we move into these vulnerable states. I think probably as I was writing Hunger Moon, there is a part of me, I do have a part of me that's like, just go in and like dig, you know, but um, as I get older, I recognize that that is not always wise action and that to really tend to the tender heart is, is important. And even in conversation with the grief, like, can you speak to the grief and ask it what it, what it needs, what it wants? even in writing, right? Like I, I listened to this woman who said, if you ask the question and then you go to another part of the room and write the answer, right? This other part of yourself has the opportunity to speak. So that's, that's what I would say for, for self-care. It's so beautiful what you said. And I think it's so important that you brought up around grief um, and, um, and that it's not often held or or honored. And it's, I, I believe more conversation needs to happen around grief. Coming back to now, the other part of the question that I asked earlier around the narrative, the structure of, of um, when I say structure, it's, it's, it's sort of, um, it's the system of getting published. And, yeah. and within that system is the structure of, of how we are, doing our art so so for example it could be through like let's say creative nonfiction or nonfiction as a genre or fiction or poetry lyrical prose or I don't know whatever we want to call all these genres so my question in that is always well who has created those definitions and who is deciding what fits or doesn't fit, mm -hmm. given that we need to think about decolonizing and given that we're also trying, given the fact that grief is not often held or honored, emotions are not often held or honored. 
in terms of the person who is doing the art, but also once the material, if you find a publisher or a system that honors your grief or who you are as an artist, can take care of you after you're published. Do you see what I mean? Like, let's start with the let's start with the art part. Like the the, the, the pro I, I really loathe to say producing part, but uh, the creating part. <laughs> That's where That's I should. Good. I'm gonna I'm gonna say actually, I would say that the word production and people not feeling productive is a very colonized, yes. is a very capitalist kind of colonized word. Yes, col colonial word. Yeah, and. What I see a lot, because I have a Facebook group with lots of different writers coming in, and what I hear a lot is this, this kind of like horse before, cart before the horse. Yes. <laughs> How am I going to get published? And I say, well, what have you written? Where have you, you know, and, and maybe they, they're really early on in the draft. But this kind of willingness to compromise what is true for them for the publication that they have, you know, and so I think that that comes with and some people are into genre writing and that's that's absolutely fine, but that there is a kind of um, what are they called templates of how the story is supposed to go and. I really, I really, really struggle with this idea of how the story is supposed to go. I do think there are things stories need, not universally, but I think there's, and usually it has to do with a kind of grappling <laughs> with a question or, or some sort of, um, it has to have some sort of movement, I would say, you know, but even, even stillness can be beautiful. And Mavis Gallant writes this beautiful story called uh, When We Were Very Young. And I'm like amazed at it because nothing really happens until the very end of the story. And I just love that she did that, that there is a kind of stasis. It's a story about stasis. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, so this this hunger for publication, I think, comes from a need to be seen and a need to be heard and share our stories. And for sure, I, I have had that as well. And I think the challenge or the problem is when we think then our story has to look a certain way or be a certain way. I had a young woman who's writing a memoir say to me, um, you know, she's written her memoir in vignettes. And she said, but I keep hearing that if it's my first book, I should write it like X, Y, Z. And I, but that breaks my heart. And I was like, don't break your heart. Don't break your heart to compromise for some idea because we can get really run around by the ideas other people have about how our work should be. And I think that's true in life too. If we can run around by how we uh, other people think we should be, and so our story, there's such. If we get to the idea of diversity, there's so many stories and so many ways to tell a story, and I would say 
what a story needs is resonance. And so how to create that resonance is really the task of the writer. How to create the resonance so that the emotional transmission can happen between the reader and the writer. And it's, as a writer, if, if, if someone told me I can, you know, I think there's beauty in form, the poets, like there, there's, but there's not one form. There's not one way to do, there's not, as you were saying with fiction, create, I write fiction, but a lot of my fiction is, you know, marginally nonfiction. So the lines that somebody, who has drawn them and how do we want to challenge them? And we may challenge them within the structure. We may change them in the structure, subvert the structure or give space to emotion that, that isn't valid, considered valid in other, in the colonized culture into the structure. Mm -hmm. Or we may create new structures or experiment with structures, different ways to tell a story. I think it's so important what you said about resonance and emotional transmission that happens between the writer and the reader. And that that's something very important um, in the sense of if you if you take away all the sort of labels, you're left with these human emotions. And mm -hmm. I think those human emotions can go across all the labels that that we can all as writers and readers can feel and it's tapping into those emotions i think that makes the piece strong whatever yes. you're working on yes and and i think um if we circle back to the idea of publication this product right i've heard someone call books products and i I, you know, we're just creating a product. And I thought, no, that's not what I want to do. You know, I'm not creating a product. It's cool. Like I have a book, I have a physical form for my, for my work. Um, I don't know. I think probably a lot of publishing houses are thinking in terms of product. And I think the danger comes when the writer actually thinks product too. I, I mean, I feel like integrity is a very, is, is a very important value to me as an artist, like what is your integrity and to stay true to that, to stay true to that, because I think there's, this is the, this is where this idea of, oh, I'll never get published or I'll never, like, I really believe if your story if you if you've crafted it in a way that the resonance comes through it will find a home mm -hmm. and it will reach the people that it needs to reach it may take a while and it may take a lot of drafts <laughs> and it may take a lot of seeking the publishing or if you choose to self-publish um but i think that that's an important piece is staying integrous to your vision We've um, we've gone through a circle of many topics that are beautiful, important, and needed. 
how have you evolved through your art? You you touched on it a little bit um, from when at the time when you wrote Hunger Moon and how you wanted to just deep dive into the writing. How have you evolved as an artist? Well, I think the biggest thing is actually recognizing who I am as a writer, as an artist, in terms of needing a lot of space and um, and to be patient with myself. So that idea of productivity is really strong. And I went through an, a tremendous period of change during the pandemic, I held a lot of grief. So recognizing the need for that space and letting myself write from the raw space of, um, of difficulty and not feeling it has to be anything right now so that 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 permission you know there's part of me that just like wants to wants to turn it into a story and a prod and and that product um immediately but trusting the process and i know i think i hated hearing that when i was a younger writer trusting the process but that the process is a really long game. And that if you are a writer or any other type of artist, that it has kind of, sometimes you look around and you go, God, she's turned out another book. And I'm like, you know, my first one came out at 50 or whatever it is, um, that your, that it, that there's a kind of seasonal movement through the work itself and it's okay to not know what your next project is going to be it's okay to even wonder if you're still a writer you know <laughs> and it's just build notebooks and that is okay um whereas for so long like 20 something years i was so driven to write you know and it took me a long time to get that book out and now i think now that it's out there's a kind of relax around and curiosity well is there going to be a next book what what would that look like and you know just like a kind of more space for curiosity and you know, this kind of, I was having a conversation with a friend who said, oh, you should write a novel. And I thought, I don't know if I have a novel in me. I don't know. I don't want to just churn out a novel because someone thinks I should write a novel. You know, that's not at this moment, my form or my interest. So really, again, that back to that integrity and, and that checking in with the body and all those things come into decolonizing myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the idea of how I think it should be. That's a great evolution you've gone through. And I think a lot of writers, artists go through these various questioning of oneself and evolving. It's so interesting, um, you know, and I've I know a bit about your process and and one thing that I did learn with Hunger Moon and I think I carry forward is that really the the exchange between 
self and story mm. is really profound. And I think that's understated how much the story works on us. I mean, someone could read Hunger Moon in an afternoon or maybe, you know, maybe a little longer. That doesn't, I, I put years into some of those stories, years. And so they are, the value I see is that, and the evolution, the beauty of it is actually in the exchange between the narrative and the self and the, tr and the resonance and, and, you know, accessing that resonance is part of that exchange. So whether it goes out into the world, which, you know, I do hope your book gets out into the word yeah. world, Maya Runa, because I want to read it. Um, but that richness that you have received from the work itself is, is the most beautiful gift of the, of the process. Oh, yeah. And the exchange between self and story resonance I resonate with that, what you've just said. We've talked about um, this evolution, the relational. Uh, I want to just switch track a little bit um, to ask you, what is your big dream? I really dream, and I might start crying, I'll, I'll, um, really is that is for the awakening, awakening of humanity to the beauty that is this world and that we kind of wake up from the anesthetized, you know, the anesthetized systems that we're just sleeping under and moving through and reclaim ourselves as, you know, creative human beings um, living on this dynamic, incredible planet. So that's my, that, that really is my big dream some days I despair. Yeah, it feels like a crazy pickle that we're in. Um, and the hope or the uh, the vision really is that we that humans are creative and humans have dreamed themselves out of impossible situations before. And so I really look to writers like Adrian Marie Brown, who speaks about um, about creating creating a new world through through art through community through visioning like we're living someone else's dream right now so can we change the change the dream <laughs> yeah. that's a beautiful dream to have and i believe we can i believe mm -hmm. i believe humans can is there any new project you're thinking about or perhaps working on? Yes, I am. I am working. I, as you know, you probably tell my, my um, great love and concern is for this planet. And so I am leaning into stories that address climate change. Um, and about marriage dissolution and climate, but also you know, in what I just said, where, where is hope? Where is beauty in this world that is very troubled? And how, 
the kind of stress the planet is under and the stress the relationships that we are we have are under and the resilience that we may may or may not find in some of those relationships so that's that's my current leaning <laughs> just a small you know light yeah. light read <laughs> it's timely though it's a time yeah, absolutely yeah i look forward to to what may come out of your exploration around that hopefully it's a book yeah i i, I will see yeah, yeah. <laughs> um where can folks find out more about you or your work yeah so i have a website tracyskews.com and that's tracy with an i and and then i also have a facebook group which people it's free and people are are invited to join uh it's called the writer's journey in there i do all sorts of all sorts of challenges may haruna has done some um master classes teachings so i have i have free stuff in there and then i also run courses so is there anything else you'd like to share um about anything any questions you might have of me anything yeah anything you'd like to share you know i just really feel blessed meharuna for us to have found each other again in this crazy world and um have these conversations they're the the richness of the conversations and um, your deep intelligence and commitment to to your art and to holding space for other art artists is really beautiful and and I honor you in that so thank you oh thank you well I'd really like to thank you Tracy uh, for joining me today with uh, with with me on this show. I consider myself really blessed as well that I ran into you in different capacities, different venues, uh, different ways, uh, yoga also. So, yeah. um, and more importantly now as a writer, it's just, it's just incredible how, how I, I don't, I never use the word coincidence. I feel there's always a purpose. There's always a reason when things happen and um, the fact that we we got re reconnected is um, not a coincidence. It's a beautiful, beautiful. What's the word I'm looking for? A beautiful accident. Serendipity. Serendipity is <laughs> a better word. Yes. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for making time to to join me, and I, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. So I hope I hope. Uh, we will stay in touch and keep keep going. And I wish you luck with all your work and thank you. your next project, whatever that unfolds to be. Thank you so much, Meharuna. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to Reigning Revolution, Jedi in the Arts. For contact information of the guests or to listen to other podcasts, please visit cfuvpodcast.com.